from Anchor FM, this is Etch the Edges, where we climb the steep cliffs of the divide, the issues that separate us from the right and the left, and we do the hard work of closing that divide. Find the common ground we know we all share. Hi, I'm B.S. Brown, your host, and together we will etch the edges. America has often been at the crossroads, and yet here we are again. What do we do? And how do we do it? Together, let's get into it. Our purpose? To do the work. To truly peel away at the extremes, for it's the extremes, the extremes that divide us. The tail is wagging the dog. Small groups of people with outsized voices are commanding the stage, and the rest of us? Well, the rest of us suffer for it. It's time for all that to change. Let's lean into discomfort. Let's have the hard conversations, and together, let's etch the edges. Welcome back to another episode of Edge the Edges, the podcast where we do the hard work of leaning into discomfort with everyday people on outside, sometimes not everyday topics, but it's just regular people talking about the things that are powerful and, and that affect our lives. We edge the edges so that we can close the divides and get closer to the story, humanize the other, and understand where people are coming from. Because we always know that once we get into it a little bit, it's more often than not about perspective. And if you take the time to step into someone else's shoes, we know we've heard that time and time again. And we, we say it like it ain't no thing. But to be quite honest, it truly is. It's a hard thing to step into someone else's space. And we say it, but we don't do it. And if we would do it more, then we would have a better understanding of each other and thereby treat each other better, wouldn't we? I think the answer is yes. On today's episode, we've got something special for you. We're welcoming back our brother Bernard Mills. As y'all remember, Bernard Mills was the person who introduced, introduced us to the concept of the prison industrial complex as an institution of higher learning. So as to cut into the recidivism rate and get people out of the prison institution and out of the streets and into a path that steps our youth upwards into mobility, civility, and eventually prosperity. That's the kind of thing we wanna do. And we appreciate Brother Bernard for sharing that, uh, that perspective with us. He's gonna be sharing some more information with us today. And also we've got uh, Brother Ronnie Long on. Now, the interesting thing about Brother Long is he is intimately, has intimate understanding of the prison industrial complex, the prison system, and how the justice system will bring the hammer down on an innocent brother and consign that brother's life to one of pain and suffering for something they did not do. And that is real. It happens more often than we care to think. And he's going to share his insights on that type of activity. And then later on, we're going to have a special treat. We're going to have Brother Akbar. Now, it, when he starts talking and we get into it, I'm going to make it plain. Some of you who've been around for just a minute, like myself, the brother sent me a link, Brother Bernard sent me a link, and all of a sudden, the, the face of Brother Ogbar came alive. And I was like, I have seen this brother somewhere before, right here on this show. So I'm just going to leave it at that. And when he comes on, he's going to give you some insight 
and share what he's done. And, 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 and to be real clear, to be real clear, Brother Akbar has done some things and, 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 and that's life, but he tried to pay it straight. He put in the work to try and do some uplift and fix what's broken from a societal perspective when our people are in these streets and they go off the rails. So I think you're gonna enjoy that as well. But before we, um, before we get deeper into it, right? And we're gonna go straight to it. I just wanna tell everybody to, um, again, edge the edges, closing the ideological divide. I wanted to take a quick moment as we're going into this topic to remind everybody to get engaged with what's happening locally, to understand that all politics is local. And in these heightened times where we're still struggling and surviving in the middle of the COVID age, that all your actions, everything you do is critically important. Plug into what's happening locally. Know what your city officials are doing. Know what your um, your district attorney is doing. Understand what's happening with your elected officials. Be like Brother Ronnie Long is going to clarify for you that you've got to speak. You've got to take action. You know, I, I don't care what it is you're doing for a living, how you're walking day to day. Don't just walk in the fog. Get your daily bread and go lay down because if you don't happen to life, brothers and sisters, be sure life will happen to you. And if you are not aware, it will take you by surprise. And in some cases, take you down. So I wanted to make sure I just mentioned that today before we go into this program. And I've said it, and now we're moving on. Brother Bernard Mills, welcome back to the show. We're going to start with you, my brother. So you're back. You know, give us a refresher. Let us know where you're going and, and what you've been up to and, you know, what things you're going to talk to us about today. You got the microphone, my brother. Hit it. Hey, 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 thank you, Daddy. Thank you. Thank you again for bringing me back on, man. You 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 took it, you took me right to what I want to talk about. And I don't believe everybody here is gonna, gonna get in there and do a part. And uh, my thing is this here, man, to get back to community, man, that I helped to destroy back in the day. So and I'm fighting so hard for returning citizens, give them a second chance. And I'm gonna give you my spill on this here about second chance. But I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a member of Toastmaster, vice president of Toastmaster. Public relationship um, in three group, three, three um, 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 programs, and um, I'm, I've been doing this here speech because of being a, a, a guest a, a person in Toastmasters. Excuse me, you know, saying you are you automatically a part of Chamber of Commerce. Okay, so Chamber of Commerce is something that you know get all the guys got business and they make decisions and stuff like that. So I'm gonna present this here letter, this letter that I've written, okay, and I've been talking about it. I'm gonna give it to you and to the audience, okay? And I'm gonna start off by uh, what is a second chance, okay? And I'm writing this letter in the interest to consider equitable, equitable treatment or fair treatment for a second chance. Return a citizen. Okay, now <laughs> let me give you uh, a little. Let me give you some um, historical facts based on my research, my personal personal experience ever since I came home from prison. I'm again, I'm gonna ask you, this letter I'm getting, I'm gonna present it, I wanna present it in, in front of Congress, man, to shine some light on it. I'm gonna get down and get deeper, deeper down in this to understand where I come from. Okay, now I'm gonna I'm use myself for example so I can help the other guys be their guide, you know what I'm saying, to give them a second chance. It's got to be, the story needs to be told, not sold. That, all right, I'm going to introduce myself. My name is Bernard Mills. I grew up without a positive role model in my life. I grew up with six sisters and a mother who tried very, very hard 
and to be a mother and father. But I still ended up in the streets. I broke the cardinal rules. Don't get high on your own supply. So I became a drug dealer, addict. So I embraced the criminal lifestyle in my community. That led me to be become a felon. This, this would happen every day to a lot of guys in the community without a role model. Now, everybody I knew was a drug dealer, felon. So I became a product of my environment. So I ended up in prison for 20 years, 20 years plea bargain with the aggravated mitigated factor was decomposed. They reduced my sentence to 18 years with 85%. I had to complete before my release. It's history, which is a, a mandatory 15 years, three months, 18 days. Now, again, what is the second chance? Come on, think about this. My point is a person are pushed, if a person are pushed into a corner and denied the opportunity for gainful employment for too long, they will have little choice but to conciliate, pick up guns, sell drugs, break the law. Now after one is that now now after one release, for example, I had to do another 60 months on parole, which is five more years on special supervision in the community. That added up to 243 months, 18 days, more than debug. Now, at this time, one would think that after paying both debts to DOC and special supervision, you will consider yourself as a free man or woman, the right to live in a decent area or to get a good job. That is not the case. People cannot be permanently marginalized and be felt like a second-class citizen. For another example, I try to get a job at these companies. I'm gonna put them out there. Advanced Auto, Panetta Bread, Walmart, out of all people, they don't discriminate. And Rapid Hammond. In some cases, I took the drug test, passed 100%, man. But when it came down for my background check, I was denied from the job. When a person is finished and proven that they are a productive person to work and give back to the community and society with involved and involving in a persistent social interaction, but still have this invisible wall that is disenfranchised, at the end of the day, our second chance are blocked with this word called disenfranchised. That stops us returning citizens for a productive lifestyle. Now, it's a lot of people come out here, man. Okay, I'm stop there for a minute. A lot of people comes out, like myself, through the time, through the parole, trying to get a job, you know, trying to get a kind of vote, trying to get their rights back. But disenfranchised supports resilience. For example, can't get a job or live in a, a nice area, like I said, back. And again, disenfranchised support resilience. Resilience is a tendency of a convicted criminal to reform, reoffend. This is my point. I'm trying to explain to people that it's considered a second, second chance for people to come home. 
My point is to, is to consider, consider your rules and regulations to help to stop recidivism to give returning citizen, individual who is returning home after prison, a full degree of, of second chance to become a productive person. Now, it's been brought up before about second chance. There's a lot of guys is in prison, a lot of females is in prison is coming home and trying to get their life back, trying to get things back. They've been punished. And you still got, at the end of the day, you still got your foot in your neck. Now, the thing is that to, to be moved uh, disenfranchised so a person can be made, take their place in society, give us, give us a second chance. Now, this was brought up before about returning citizens coming home. I said, DOC, you do your 15, 20, 30 years, 40 years. Then you got this uh, 85%, you got to do three or five years uh, parole. Okay, it's two punishment. They get, they get around with double deputy, some kind of wins, S22 in that. So, but the light was shining dark for, for returning citizens. Like, somebody needed to bring this up. I'm fighting hard and hard, and I'm not going to stop until I get on that floor in Congress and, and give my spill. Now, check this out. Now, Congress is currently considered the Fair Change Act. You know, Ronnie, you might be familiar with this. Fair Change Act in 2019, a bill designed to increase the odds that former incarcerated individuals can get a job upon their release and have proven that they have embraced the rules and regulations of society. Currently, this was in 2019, you still got people here and they'll finish both, both, both uh, punishments and stand around edging them to commit crimes, man. You know what I'm saying? You pick up the guns, pick up the drugs, there's your second chance. Sir. Okay, in closing, this is my spiel to them. I would like you to consider and to view your rules and regulations to, to earn a citizen. Not, not just equal, but equitable. Equitable is fair, fairness. Put a second chance and stop this disenfranchise so a person can be made whole again. This is my spirit. This is my fight. Somebody got, you know, I, I hear heard people say when they come out, they're going to do this, going to do that for the brothers and the sisters, that, that, you know, don't care what color you are. I'm saying that give them a chance to get, get back in touch. Look up the word second chance. What does it mean? If you've been punished and you complete your punishment, you had a second chance to do something. Well, you got this foot on your neck, invisible wall, a person can't do nothing. What are you gonna do? I'm gonna go back to what you used to do. Sell the drugs, I gotta pay my bills, I gotta take care of my family, I gotta do this here. You know what I'm saying? Well, well I, I, I did my punishment. I I I got I got I got I got the uh, then you're gonna say 95 or 65 cents of people returning to prison within five to three years. I proven, I bet that I'm off the road. Okay, I did it 15 years, three months, and 18 days, plus five years parole. January 1st, I, I was released. I'm clear, I'm through, I'm finished, but I can't find a decent job. Okay? Now, this is a message to all young people, older people that has been there and done that and completed this year. It's gonna be a way that you can find a job to do this. So Congress, have to check this out 
and help these young people and old people to give them a second chance. Really, really put some empathy on second chance. This is what I'm here to do. This is my fight. This is what I'm doing. And that's my spiel. Okay. Brother Bernard, uh, as, as ever, you know, I just want to thank you for bringing that wisdom to the table. Because the fact of the matter is, all that you're saying, th these are nothing but facts. So we know the story. You know, it's just that a lot of us who don't ever get the insight of seeing what you're talking about beyond the daily news or some kind of damn uh, weekend movie or thriller, you know, uh, that, that again, that's us not getting close enough to the story and understanding the perspective, right? And stepping into your space, your shoes, and understanding that these things are happening to real people, that mm. this is real stuff, that this is, this is happening, that recidivism is real and it's hurting. It's destructive to our society, in my opinion, more so than people think. Because to your point, if I get punished, and I do my punishment, I do my bit, but you still keep me enthralled to the state. I'm on probation, I'm still enthralled to the state. I gotta show up. You know, I, they, they may even be trying to take some of the money that I could possibly make when I'm not making any. But I can't really find gainful employment. I, I'm supposed to be out of corrections and corrected. Mm, good, I'm good. supposed to have done my bid. I'm supposed to be able to not only take care of myself, but contribute to society, to be the better person that perhaps I really, really want to be. But if I can't make a daily living wage, then what the hell's the, the point? All right, there you go, Jack. What's the, what's the damn point? And you're really going to blame me if I go ahead and lump up a couple of rocks and go find a corner again? I'll go and set myself up in a trap. Well, then, Mr. Brown, why'd you go back and do that? That's what you went to jail for the for prison for the first time. Because I can't eat, goddammit. Right, 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 right. I can't make a living. I can't feed my daughter. I can't feed myself. What exactly did you expect me to do? These are powerful things. And 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 brother Bernard, I I, I thank you for stepping into the space. Yeah. Know that you've got an ally in me. I know that there are others out there who think and feel the same, especially down here in the state of Georgia and these other southern states where not only do we want to give folks to come out of prison, make sure they've got the right to vote, to engage in civic right. responsibility. But to your point, we've got to get at the root of the problem. We've got to get to the point of killing off this piece of societal disease, not the symptom, but the disease. The disease mm -hmm. itself, for the first part, is because folks are coming in to a space of poverty and, and for whatever reason, peer pressure, the fact that you just want to eat, the fact that you just want to make a living, the fact that, you know, in school you didn't see a way out where you could live well and, you know, put some decent clothes on your back, perhaps All drive right. a ride and eat a steak yeah. every once in a while. You know, you don't see these opportunities. To you, that looks like, let's be honest, for black folks that wind up in prison, we call that white people stuff. That's okay. Good, you know, because... Uh, you know, you know, white folks give, go to work in those buildings downtown. I, you know, if I'm going right, down right. there, I'm cleaning it. You know, no, 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 no. We've got to be able to share the story that you can work in those buildings too. There you go. There but you but go. I've seen it firsthand. Kids don't know that. 
You can't tell a child to pick themselves up by their bootstraps when they don't know what a bootstrap is, what a boot is, where to go find one. And if they found one, they don't know how to put it on. They don't know how to lace up and they don't know how to launch out, but they know how to sell a crack rock. They know how to go ahead and set up a trap. They know how to put a piece of, uh, of, of, of what you say, structure around how I'm going to run this business. And they even know right. a few things about security and defense. Because, you know, when you go and get a couple of pieces of steel from the streets, you buy that and you give it to five of your closest boys and they take up posts. Now you got defense in case anybody come and try to steal the crack rock that you sell it. Now, exactly. all of this is criminal activity. But what we see in there, what we see in there is strategy. We see um, planning, right. we see ideas of defense and how to secure your bag, exactly. the ability to get in supply, rack it up, cut it up, get it set for distribution, assign a good price because the market is demanding the product, and then selling the product with a good bit of efficiency. Of course, you can't take these profits to the goddamn bank. No, no, right. got you. <laughs> but there's a, these are, are profits nonetheless. What do we learn from that? We learn that these kids that live in depravity, if someone would just give them a little bit of uplift, they can run a business. Because man, selling crack is a business. Yes, it it's is. It's just a harmful one. It's illegal. And not only does it hurt the community, but like you said, you're never supposed to get half your own supply, but it happens all the time. And then exactly, it ruins your exactly. own life. Exactly. And this is this is what I do, man. You know, and then you 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 shot right to something that I want to give you a little later on. I'll let you I'll go ahead and let you go and get Ronnie Long because I know he got a whole lot of light to put it in that dark spot. Absolutely, brother. Absolutely. So we're we're gonna we're gonna switch it up. Okay. The brother Ronnie, folks, and like I said, um Ronnie's gonna take us down a different path. You know, he he he's lived his life. He was engaging and doing the things that he was doing. And then the um, the hammer of of justice, and, and we all know that Lady Justice is blind. And and to be quite honest, when it comes to brothers like Ronnie, we'd be like, well, damn it, woman, you need to take the blindness off because you ain't seeing. <laughs> you can't see. And you didn't drop the hammer on the wrong man. So these things happen more often than not. And what Brother Ronnie is going to talk to us about is his own personal experiences. And then, of course, he will share with us his passion and what it is he's trying to do to rectify this very real situation that happened, surprisingly, unfortunately, to more people than we care to think. And that that, that is that is a wrong. So, um, yeah, um, Brother Ronnie, we're going to go ahead and give the mic to you. My name is Ronnie Law. I'm uh, I'm home after a little over uh, two years. I've been home a little over two years. Uh, unlike most brothers coming home, I was blessed. Uh, I had both mom and dad live out in suburbs of Philadelphia. And uh, in their 80s. So they stuck around. My father passed away the day after election day. I told him, I said, uh, you know, Trump lost the election. They're going to lock him up. But dad, he got a little smile. Next morning, he passed away. Well, all but, right, uh, man. Wow. Yeah. But uh, we had a good 18-month run. Mm-hmm. Um, my son was two years old when I got locked up, Ronald Long Jr. 
Uh, he went in the Marines, became Marine, had a family, whatnot. He was 38 when I came home. We had a four-day weekend. He took his family on a boating uh, expedition, and uh, he jumped in the water to save somebody else's kid, and he lost his life. Wow. So uh, he was two when I got locked up. He was 38 when I came home. And he died less than a month after I came home, but he died a hero. Wow. So I've been able to handle that, but that's been like a major loss. You know, uh, my daughter was a seven year old little girl. She's 46. She's a super insurance agent, adjuster. And her husband, he was a contractor for the army. He's a builder and they're doing good. So I, I never had to worry about my kids. And one thing while I was in prison is I kept my nose clean because of my kids. I could never explain to them, well, you got to see dad do this, this type of visit thing because dad got in trouble or dad did this. <clears throat> my entire disciplinary history for 37 years consisted of a verbal reprimand in 1993. That's it. I was mainly known for being the law man, doing uh, the legal stuff, jailhouse, jailhouse lawyer, working in the law libraries, all the prisons. And then at a couple points, I used to teach law classes, showing other guys how to write briefs, how to make them, uh, you know, professional and to get the point. Um, I wasn't a formally educated man. I actually dropped out in the 10th grade, but I got a GED. When I was in the Marine Corps, I wanted to be a lawyer. And I studied the Uniform Code of Military Justice back in 1976. So... I wanted to be a lawyer. It was something that I wanted. And when I got when I got out the Marine Corps, I worked on the ship, um, you know, uh, many related cook, stuff like that, that can wash dishes and whatnot. But in 1982, I was accused of committing some horrible crimes in Atlantic City. I had nothing to do with it. They built the case right around me, not a shred of evidence. I got one of those type of cases, uh, you know, was just made up of the jailhouse witness, a racist prosecutor playing the race game. And I went to trial in 85 and what they did back in 85, they couldn't do today. But, uh, and I, I guess at some point I was supposed to give up. I never knew what giving up meant. That was never an option. And so they offered me all kinds of plea bargains. I could have been home years ago. I'm not taking a plea bargain because I didn't do it. And, you know, they really, really didn't want to hear that once you get locked up and the fingers pointed at you, the word wagon starts circling around you. So the three years I spent in the county waiting to go to trial, they spent building a case against me. And it was such a flimsy case, but when the system locked in on you, you're in the courtroom. I'm black and everything else is white. Uh, I did have a court-appointed black lawyer, but he might as well have been white too because I kept asking them to do things for me. He said, Ron, he says, uh, I'm not saying that we're going to sell you out, but after this case is over, we still got to come back here and practice. I said, Mr. Jackson, you just told me you're going to sell me out, that you have wow. to sell me out. Wow. And 
He said he didn't mean it like that. Well, you know, uh, the system is built to uh, insulate itself and to protect itself. Ain't a person. You got lying cops, lying witnesses, a racist judge, a racist prosecutor, a racist public defender. When you go to trial, what you think is going to happen? And for the most part, we get convicted and we get sentenced with crazy sentences. I was sentenced to the death penalty, came back a month later, and I was attacked on another 60 years in addition to the death penalty. And so it's like, okay, well, yeah, all right, okay, but I'm innocent. And so I just vowed to fight when I was on death row, I was in a single cell for five years on death row. With all the state's most notorious murderers, I'm looking around, I see this guy, he's a serial killer. This guy's got a gruesome crime. And I'm on death row with these guys. Wow. What am I doing here? You know? But I dealt with it. And I dealt with it one day at a time. And it goes from one day at a time to now it's been another year, another year. Now it's been five years. Now it's been 10 years. And, you know, I came off the death row, moved around the system, uh, shipped from place to place, met old heads like BM. And, you know, I always uh, associated myself with brothers like him because they brought stuff to the table that meant something. You know, I was running a mentoring group when I left. And we always say, whatever it is that you're doing right now in prison, that's what you're going to do when you get out. So just to piggyback off of what you said about the drug deals. If you can set up a market selling your drugs and you got people selling your drugs for you, substitute that with something else that's legal and use them same skills. Right. And I see some brothers, they coming home, they instead of selling drugs, they selling Muslim oils, prayer rugs and all that and getting paid, you know? So whatever it is that you're doing, they say that's what you're going to do when you when you get out, whatever it is. Well, I did law work and that's pretty much all I knew to do. I'm a cook by trade. And, you know, of course, I'm a cook, but I'm not working in anybody's restaurant. <laughs> I hear that. Um, I cook at home. Um, like I said, I had soft landed and. I have probably the biggest apartment in my whole county. And I have a nice big kitchen. I love to cook. I wake up in the middle of the night. It's just me and my wife. I wake up in the middle of the night and I might want to bake a cake. That was something that I couldn't do in prison. And little things like that. I take, you know, I I, I, uh, I enjoy that. I count all these things as blessings, yeah. you know, and... You know, and um, and and I'm still going through my my legal troubles. It's almost over, but all I know is legal. And I started writing briefs, getting cases overturned. Got another murder case overturned, and another one, and another one. Amongst all the cases that I got overturned, twelve of them were murder cases, murder convictions, and you know seemed like they were helpless, like 
it's going to take a miracle. But a lot of times the answers are right there in front of you. Yeah. And so, you know, that's what I did. I, um, I did law work and that's what I do now. Uh, I have my own little office inside my uh, apartment on steroids, <laughs> and, you know, and so that's what I do. That's that's what I do. I do law work and I enjoy it and I really enjoy winning. So uh, right now, the biggest case that I'm working on is uh, the imam in Trenton State Prison has been locked up 40 years based on one witness, a jailhouse witness who said that he ordered a triple hit. Well, it's a lot of moving parts to that story. But back then, the imam was an imam on the street. And a couple guys shot him up, left him for dead. And then the, the streets retaliated. And they unfortunately killed three people. After that, those three people, those guys that did it got caught. And they were all prosecuted and they were all sentenced to triple life. One of the guys said he wanted to make the deal. So he called the prosecutor out. That was one of the things that I said to uh, the prosecutor in um Bessis County, New Jersey prosecutor. But the one guy came out of prison, made a deal, said the imam ordered the hit. He testified against the imam's wife. She was acquitted. He testified against the imam. Well, back in the 80s, it was a bad anti-black Muslim community uh, climate all over the country. And so he was convicted based on this one witness. Well, can't do that anymore. They have layers of supervisors before they can use about a jailhouse witness. And so based on this new directive coming from uh, the Division of Criminal Justice in New Jersey, I reopened the imam's case. And the person that's going to represent him is Isaac Wright. He was also a paralegal with us down at Trent State Prison back in the day. He uh, got exonerated. He went on to become a lawyer. 50 Cent wrote the piece for life yep. on uh, ABC for him, loosely based on his life. So, you know, I told him, I said, all right, look, you got to represent the Iman. He was like, well, you know, it's a 40-year-old case. So I said, Ike, I did all the work. You got to represent him. I said, come on, man. Can't you see the movie here? <laughs> but the other moving part to that story is a three-year-old little boy who was home when his parents were murdered. He grew up to become somebody famous. Mutai, Napoleon Bill, rapper. He lives in Saudi Arabia now. But he never really knew the full story on what happened to his parents. Mm. He just knew what they told him. But he's also a man of justice. You know, he's a man of for what's right. And he has his own story. He worked with Tupac Shakur. And so... Uh, we have people now reaching out to him so that he can, you know, get all the details before this thing goes public. You know, uh, over here in Philadelphia, where I live, just since I've been home, the district attorney has exonerated 23 people. Most of them look like me, just out of the city of Philadelphia alone in the state of Pennsylvania, wrongful convictions. And these brothers is getting like six and a half, seven, eight, nine million dollars a piece for all the years that they did locked up innocent. So 
you know, uh, basically what prosecutors are doing with these conviction integrity units uh, is that they are looking into old cases of their predecessors and finding all of the Brady material information that was suppressed, everything that just screams out a wrongful conviction because a uh, wrongful conviction, it's not by mistake, that's intentional. People intentionally set out to convict somebody. They don't care if you're innocent or not. They want to win the conviction. And it's so many, so many, many people locked up, innocent, been in there for years and years. And unfortunately, a lot of them are dying behind bars because they never could get the right help to get their case overturned. So when you see people who've been locked up 20, 30, 40 years, you know, there's a lot of people that turn and look the other way. And that's how they end up in the nightmare. So well, let me ask you, Ronnie, let me ask yeah. you. So, and, 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 it's, and, and first off, thank you for sharing all that, right? Um, okay. Again, it's a powerful story. But uh, there are a couple of points I want to go back to. As you said, right, what you do inside, you do out. Right. And you can feed your passion and make a living. Interestingly enough, I think it's great that you and Brother Bernard are on in, in, in this frame, in this manner, because it's in our best interest to make sure that when you're coming out doing that thing, that you can actually monetize to make a living, that society helps, that we support you, that we engage you directly, that we purchase your services or if you decide to go ahead and make cakes, mm -hmm. purchasing that good cake. Right. And that we're doing what we need to do to make sure that your going enterprise is successful. I, th I think that is, that's important, it's critical, and that it will, it will prevent a lot of folks from sliding back into a life of crime. That recidivism rate is something that's very critical. And I think society would do itself well to make sure that they get that uh -huh. second chance, that we can actually get through that. Yeah. Hey, until, in fact, Akbar just tried to call me too. He said- Yeah, he's, he, I, he's yeah. talking to me now, Akbar. Yeah. What, what? Yeah, tell, tell him, Ronnie, that we'll go ahead and pick him back up since we're in the middle of the show right now. We can't do All it right, right we, We're in the middle of the show now. We'll pick you back up. Go back to Zoom and take your time. You can do it. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm going to make sure we hit Ogbar after the show. I can tell that brother's frustrated by it. But sometimes the technology decides it doesn't want to cooperate with anybody, right? That's just yeah. what it goes. It's, it's okay. We'll, yeah, we'll, we'll yeah I thought it was me because I was trying everything, you know. <laughs> sometimes it does that. We're all good. But I wanted to go back to the beginning, Ronnie, okay. because, you know, uh, again, what you laid out there, critically important. We've got to make sure we do that. And I love it because mm -hmm. that's going to make sure that our society is that much better off if we get this thing right. The power of prosecutors is not to be denied. I think for a lot of time, a long time, Americans didn't realize that, you know, the uh, the, the ability to share this information more readily is what's right. bringing that to the light. The the situation that you were in, that's no that's no small thing. You know, we 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 for, I, I've, I've mentioned this to a lot of my white brothers and sisters that don't understand how tired we as men and women of color, black folks get tired of talking about the fact that we're in a situation where I'm the only one. 
and that the power is arrayed against me. We don't do this because we feel like we we it's a good thing to do, and we're gonna brag and play the race card. We hate the race card too. Right. We're tired of being in these situations, but we're in it, and we look around, and we know we're getting ready to get a, get a stick in the back. It's like, man, yeah, this this ain't right. So I want to go back to the beginning, right? So. Right, like you said, you 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 came from suburban America. Yeah, no, 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 no. I came back to suburban America. <laughs> okay, so well, so at the beginning of your story, you said you okay. So you had your mother and your father. I said when I came home from prison. No, I mean before you went way back. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah. I had a big family. We were just living in Philadelphia, and exactly. uh, I was you doing my own. You doing? Yeah, you're doing I was, your thing. So yeah, I wanted I to get to own. that part. Okay, I, I wanted to get more insight into. How did the hammer of justice come down on Brother Ronnie Long? You know, what, what happened that, you know, that, that those lower layers where before you knew it, you turned around, the justice system had hijacked your life for something yeah. you didn't do. Well, well, back then, I was 24 years old and dumb as a brick wall. Thought I knew everything. Been home, came home from the Marine Corps. Uh, we bought and sold guns all the time. Everybody had guns, just like it is now. Yeah. The police heard that I was in possession of a 25 caliber handgun. And the crimes happened with a 25 caliber handgun. So I got blamed. When I got blamed, I wasn't worried about it because I knew it wasn't me. I wasn't found with a gun. I wasn't involved in any crimes. So... They put me in a county jail and they're trying to sweat me to get me to point to somebody else and said, wait, I don't have anything to do with any of that. And so they held me for three years while they built the case against me. So I want to pause right there. Right. So first off, anyone who's listening will probably want to go out the gate, hold up, wait. Now, interestingly enough, down here in Atlanta, Georgia, Mm-hmm. In, in, in from county to county, folks are starting to realize it's becoming more of a, a publicly acknowledged thing that folks are going into the system, jail versus prison. And just like we, we hear from stories in New York, these folks are spending years in jail and they haven't even been arraigned yet. Right. They're right. Just, they're just there. <clears throat> right. And so when I was in the county jail, of course, I'm charged with murder, robbery, weapons offenses, no bail. They started coming at me with deals. They kept coming at me with deals. Listen, we'll throw the the murder charge out. I want you to plead guilty to shooting the guy that told us that it was Jerome Finch that shot. We want you to plead guilty to that. They kept coming with deals and deals. Not one tiny shred of evidence. So I said, I'm not taking the deal no matter what it is, I'm not taking the deal because I didn't do it. And then you find out stuff that had happened throughout the course of the investigation that they never turned over. They had an eyewitness to the murder scene. Wow. They, had, they had the man hypnotized and told him, you're going to forget everything, because the man was clearing me from the murder. They had him hypnotized. Well, hang, hang on a second. We got to yeah. follow that one too. See, now you're adding in more from layers that, I mean, 50 Cent was with a television about. show for you. So this is what the system is about. They had an hypnotized. hypnotized. They had him. They had him hypnotized, and they told him, "Not for him to remember. You will forget everything. That will all be completely forgotten." And then they hid that information. So 
here's an eyewitness to the murder scene. That's witness tampering. Wow. Ain't no telling how much other stuff that's in the case that I haven't got my hands on yet. But in the middle of my trial, they say the killer left a Newport cigarette butt at a third crime scene, which was thrown out early on. And they use all of my canteen receipts to show that I smoked Newports. He smokes Newports. He did it. Back then, there was no such thing as DNA. Right. And then when DNA came out, it was only in rape cases. Well, back in 97, I saw a case where a guy went from Texas death row on a Monday to freedom on a Tuesday based on DNA from a cigarette. And I started this relentless effort to get the DNA on that cigarette. And then I find out that it was just so many layers of lies and misinformation and hidden lab reports and all kinds of stuff. But I never gave up. And so fast forward now, I have a super lawyer represent me, Robin Lloyd. She's like female Johnny Cochran of uh, New Jersey. Okay. Okay. She's our super lawyer. And you know, she said, when I pitched my case to her, she said, are you the same Ronald Long from Death Row? I said, yeah. She said, you're out? Well, yeah, I'm out. Wait, you're out? We mean you're out. Because I told you I was sentenced to the death penalty plus an additional 60 to serve 30 years consecutive to the death penalty. So, you know, anytime you see somebody on this side of the wall that was death row you know something ain't right with the story you know right, what I mean? right i mean how do you go to death row you know you went to yeah. death row plus like we're gonna right. keep death death after you did and it's insanity right. so you know um but now now more and more wrongful conviction cases are coming out and now people starting to you know starting to look at them and you know maybe this guy is innocent and so, you know, I, I uh, reached some um, attention in highest parts of the government. And they started forming a New Jersey Innocence Review and Study Commission in the legislature. And then the attorney general uh, formed the Conviction Review Unit. So what happened in 2014, I had over 30 years and I came up with parole. They denied me parole because I wouldn't tell them I did the crime. 2018, I come back up. The whole tide had changed. So I didn't care if they did not move forward or not. Went up in 2018. I had a hearing before the New Jersey Parole Board, 15 members. And it was inside a supermax in the Trent State Prison in the visit hall. And they brought me an audience of a bunch of kids, a bunch of interns, college kids. Wow. That was the best thing they did. They brought me an audience. So that mean they had to hear me. Wow. And whereas though they may have thought that I was on a hot seat, because my whole life can really be an open book. It didn't take them long to realize that each and every one of those parole board members were on a hot seat because they had to listen to me. They had to, whatever question they asked, I'm answering. There ain't nothing holding back. But I had all of these kids looking. And so we have witnesses. So all I had in front of me was a bottle of water and a microphone. No papers, no stacks and all that. Each one of those parole board members has stacks of papers in front of them. And 
They asked me every kind of question that they could think of to try to embarrass me. Got a baby by this girl and a baby by that one. Yeah, okay, but I'm innocent. Anything they could think of. They couldn't come at me for a bad prison disciplinary record because I had none. And, you know, first they started and they was trying to like intimidate me. One guy said, Mr. Long, court said DNA pretty much wouldn't help you. What do you got to say about that, sir? And I was glad he brought that up. <laughs> I said, sir, you had to first do the testing and then get the <laughs> results back. And then you could tell that the guy's innocent. And whoa, he's like, Oh, yeah, kind of thought. I said, I've been trying to get DNA for over 20 years. Wow. And all of those kids heard it. So as we went around the room, the questions became like softball. You know, it was like they 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 were asking, now, can you tell the difference between the 1997 Parole Act and the 1979 Parole Act that you came under? Sure. One, I have to prove that you know, I'm not a recidivist or you have to prove that I am a recidivist. And the other one is that the person has to contribute towards their rehabilitation. Yes, yes, that's right, Mr. Long. <laughs> and they would ask me, so how did you, how did you learn the law? I said, well, you know, I just started buying books and reading. And the amount of time that a normal person puts in law school, I probably had about three or four times that amount of time wow. because I didn't get a break. No vacations. Still, you stay in school 24 hours a day. And, you know, I just developed a passion for, you know, making sense and getting cases overturned and showing people that, well, I mean, it's right in front of you. And either you're right or you're wrong. That's, that's powerful, Ryan. I just want to just elaborate on that one real quick. Just shine a bright light on that because you said it and I don't want us to gloss it over. Mm -hmm. You made a passion out of making sense. Right. In a society where we tend to not make a whole lot of sense more often than not. That's part right. of the problem. Part of our problem for sure. So you, you decided to take it upon yourself to, to get educated. You leaned in deep. You did a lot of reading. You put the time and effort in and through all that work, what you really do is just say, I just need you folks to take a look at what's right in front of you. Right. Because it's real straightforward, but you're refusing to see. You're refusing right. to see. And I gotta I, I gotta freely say I, it looks like God's plan really at work. You know, we I definitely have, we hate that you went through all of that, but coming yeah. out of the other side, you you you're serving a need. Yeah, you're I have a lot need. of skin in this game. A lot of skin in this game. Yeah. And you know, um, when when something is right in front of you and you ignore it, it's part of your soul got to be missing. Yeah. To allow people to suffer yeah. and just to turn and look the other way. And so, um, but I got a big mouth. I always had a big mouth. Now I just know how <laughs> I, I learned how to navigate the system. And right. I know how to put it in their face faces and you know the judge that I'm in front of now in my case she was so hostile towards me when I first went in front of her and I mean she was just like one of the judge Judy types is there any reason in particular you can assess why 
She decided because, to take that tag just to be so because, because she was inheriting a bad case and they like to keep the status quo and to keep it moving. Got it. Okay. Motion denied. I'll figure out the reason why later. You know, oh my right god. Motion is denied. It's like the old judge Roy Bean used to say, we're gonna get this boy a fair trial, then we're gonna hang him. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so, that, that's, that's what the system is. That's what it's like, you know. So, uh, but this particular judge who's hearing my case, she's the fourth judge that my case was passed to since I uh, came off of death row. When she saw Robin Lord in my case, she said, wait a minute. You don't get Robin Lord unless something is here. This judge started reading my stuff. And when she started reading my stuff, woo, she had a, a wait, something going on here. Right. She's been so nice to me, bro. She's been so courteous because I, you know, I, I'm thinking now, she said, if it's going to be some shine in this case, I'm getting some too. I hear that. Yeah. How do you keep a case in court 37 years? The uh, litigation continuous, active, 37 years. How does that happen? Wow. Well, if I bring it right, you got to hear it right. Yeah. So they've been denied, 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 denied. Everything get denied, part for the course. I file another appeal. Come back. Denied, denied. I file another appeal. So I have like nine unpublished appeals in my case. And, you know, because I never gave up and they could never say that I came in there with anything frivolous. And that's what uh, got people's attention in the legislature. When the New Jersey Parole Board, that 15-member hearing, you know, gave me that hearing, they believed me. You know, uh, you don't get granted parole in New Jersey unless you admit to your crime and you admit that you're sorry. But mine came in there with a whole different type of flavor. This is a death penalty case. This man spent five years on death row. This man saying he's innocent. Okay. Well, let's see what kind of evidence do they have against him. The strongest evidence they had against me was a recruited jailhouse witness who wow. they recruited and planted him in a unit to say I told him I did it. And then I had a prosecutor who, he was just a straight racist. He played the race game, trying to talk like a black man, walking around the courtroom, shucking and jiving and all oh, that. Wow. He called me a brother. He said, what we got here? He said, we got a brother that comes over from Philly and he holds up a, 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 a autopsy photograph. He said, this is the result. Had a thing up there, look, ma, no race. This case is not about race. Ronnie Long doesn't discriminate against his victims. He shoots white people and black people. He's an equal opportunity shooter. Wow. All of this came out his mouth, but the trial judge was even worse because as I was starting trial, I was the original dead man walker. As I'm starting trial, they got me hobbling all throughout the courthouse, all the spectators, everybody's looking at me, right? So I said, I just want to get the shackles off my ankles so I can walk. The judge said, I don't care if you bring him here in the back of an armored van naked with guard dogs. Now, oh. the trial hadn't even started yet. So all of that's part of the history. Every time I go to court and I start bringing stuff up, 
the prosecutor try to limit on what I say. He ain't limiting me. I'm saying everything. Whatever's part of the case, we're going to talk about it. You yeah. know, that's what went into the case. We're going to talk about it. You know, just like he can pick and choose what parts of the case he want to talk about. Don't try to shut me down. You know, so I have a 1999 tape of me arguing my case when I very first asked for DNA and went to court. Uh, my mom saved this, uh, these, what you call them, big VHS tapes? Yeah, VHS tapes. Yeah, I got I got the tape and I have uh, the old TV to play it on, real clear, you wow. know. But uh, you know, it's all part of the case. It's all part of the history. Yeah. And so when the judge started seeing all of this, you know, because most people when they when they prejudge, they prejudge. They assume that everything is correct. Exactly. And then they say, wait, one thing after the next, all of these things are wrong. And when they're wrong, they're wrong. Yeah. So I had some judges who was just street buddies. They was not listening. They ain't want to hear nothing. I had to say, your motion is denied, sir. Your application is denied, sir. Take the, remove the prisoner and all that, right? Well, I started making it personal. When I put an appeal in, I named names. And I named what this person did and what this person said. And... I come to find out, I mean, it's just layers, layers of injustice. You know, one one judge who sat on three of my appeals shouldn't have sat on none of them because he was part of the prosecution when I was starting to drop. Whoa. So how you later become a judge and become an appellate judge in the same case? They kept sweeping it under the rug. So ideally, he should have recused himself, right? He should have recused himself from that first appeal. And that was the first appeal that denied me DNA. Wow. But oh my God. He stayed on the case. He came into the case as a deputy attorney general to block me from getting the casino records of the jailhouse witness. Now, this guy had a perjury history. He lied on his casino applications about his perjury history. And so, my position is, as I want to bring this out, if this guy would lie on his casino application about his perjury history, he definitely would come in and tell a lie on me about a jailhouse confession. Wow. This judge who sat on three appeals shouldn't have sat on none of them because he was part of the prosecution. And so all of this comes out. It's like, wait, it was just one thing after the next, after the next, after the next. Okay, so how do you counterbalance with Mr. Long, the prisoner? How many people he stabbed in jail? How much drugs has he sold in jail? How many times has he been in fights and assaults on guards and all that? Oh, hey, none of that. That ain't me. Wow. But when you prejudge somebody, you, the first thing you think is that, well, because he was in prison, he must have been dangerous. He must have did all those things. He must have did it. And, you know, and uh, I'm, I'm developing a group of friends and I'm comfortable around who spent 20, 30 years in prison innocent. Yeah. You know? But I also have friends in prison who... Whatever brought them there, that's ain't none of my business. I connected to them man to man. You know who the builders are in prison. You know who the strong black men are in prison. Like Akbar, you know, you know up BM. You know who the strong, the staple, who keeps everything going, who keeps everything safe. Guys know you can't go around him with all that BS because it ain't gonna work. You that know? Yeah. And so and then we developed friends and we became lifelong friends, you know, lifelong friends for 
a, a, a certain cause. And, you know, when I talk to young people, I always tell them, don't get in that car. You see two people in the car, you don't know what they up to. First of all, if it's one person, I might be hesitant. But if it's two, I ain't getting in the car. <laughs> and definitely if it's three. If yeah. two people in that car already, I ain't getting in. I don't know yeah. what y'all up to. You know, I don't know what y'all up to. I don't know what y'all got in this car. And me getting in the car, when I know it's, when I, when I see, obviously, and plus I know these two dudes, I know y'all up to some bullshit, right? <laughs> I ain't getting in the car. Don't get in the car. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting, Ronnie, and, you know, a uh, couple of things, right? I, I, I really love the fact that you're talking about how, you know, first off, you really shouldn't be able to make a whole bunch of friends that have been to prison unjustly. Right. That's, that's, that's big. You know, again, another thing that we just don't want to drop and say, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, that's the thing. You know, you got uh, hundreds of folks in prison and none of them did what they're accused of. That, right. that shouldn't be. You shouldn't be able to go out there and make friends like that. Right. It's never gone. So we want to make sure we highlight that. And then number two, you're connecting with people who are, who are builders. Right. Who are trying to do the right thing. Like right. you said, you connected with Brother Bernard, BM, and you've got uh, Akbar out there. Who again? So just to be real clear for the for the for the listeners, we're going to bring Akbar on in a, in the next session. I'm going to okay. tag his session on to the end of this when we had technical difficulties. So we're not going to reveal the the big reveal about Akbar. But again, okay. I think a lot of y'all, especially folks like me who used to watch TV in the um, 90s, yeah, in the 80s. But yeah, you're going you're going to be pleasantly surprised. So yeah. we'll we'll get to that. But I, 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 the point I really wanted to get to right is. You said you're making these friends, y'all are building this coalition. What I would admonish the listeners to understand is that these gentlemen are real people. They've gone through a thing. They're trying to contribute to our society and do the right thing. Some are being repentant because they freely admit they did the crime, but they've been punished. And then you've got people who have been in the system, like Brother Ronnie here, who's like, look, you know, um, y'all, you know, the, again, that, that justice, she, she blind as hell. I ain't gonna call out her name, but she damn sure had no business putting her hands on me. But mm -hmm. she did. But now I'm out on the other side, and part of my mission is to correct what went wrong, make sure this doesn't happen again by shining a light on the system. And then what I want to add finally, right, is folks need to understand that the prison industrial complex, our prison system itself, and you can see it by the way, you know, Brother Ronnie has talked about the people who are invested in the system. And for my listeners, you know, I've interviewed a couple of folks who are running for like a judgeship or general solicitor down here in Georgia. And they're talking about how there are complications and pieces and frameworks in the system that's even operating against some of the things they want to do on the other side of this justice thing, right? They want to be able to grant clemency, space, room to operate, the ability to try and suss out the truth and not wrongfully convict because you're sitting there, I guess, like that brother, that, that, that first attorney that you had, Brother Ronnie, who was black, but he said, look, you know, after your trial, I got to come back here. So, you know, right. I'm not trying to do you wrong. And you're like, well, you getting ready to. I mean, you just right. told me what you're getting right. ready to do. That should not be. Right. That should not be. So to my listeners out there, I want folks to understand, especially for people of color, that the prison system really is an extension of where we've been from a slavery standpoint. Right. And I really want folks to understand that. 
from a cultural perspective, our officers, the, the police, I respect the police. I'm not a defund the police kind of guy. I'm, a, I'm about right-sizing the police because if the, the motto is to protect and serve, then damn it, I need you to protect and serve me. Because like the church says in my background, Black Lives Matter. And for you, for you folks who don't get it, let me make it real plain. Black Lives Matter too. You see, right. that's, that's the part y'all really got to understand. And I know, I am friends with officers who get that. But for those that don't, and they're just not a few bad apples, there are a lot of them. It's because they're invested in the extension of the system. Once the nation had us as chattel slaves, property. There's a time in history, and you can go back and see it, where prison became servitude, slavery in all but name. Now in this modern day era, you can still see it. Thankfully, the iPhones and the internet right. get railroaded all the time and put into this system and chewed up and spat back out. But it takes people like Brother Bernard and Brother Ronnie to have such intestinal fortitude to work their way through the other side of the system and still come out whole. And somehow not just come out whole, but come out wanting to contribute and give back. And so that we can put the lie, the truth to the lie and stamp all of this out. And again, like I said, I want folks to understand, I, mean, I am making a tie to some of the folks that I've interviewed who are running for office because they see it too. And they're not trying to be that attorney where says, look, I'm gonna go into this system. I'm gonna represent you black man to black man, but I gotta come back here and work every day after your stuff is done. So I, I don't want you to be offended. And I want folks to understand the weight of that. Even as I heard it, I'm sitting here listening to Brother Ronnie talking. I'm like, so the guy actually had, he, he said that? Because what that means to me, and I'm going to be real frank, I'm going to say it like I mean it. That's that's him standing there looking at you going, hey, look, nigga, I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> you that's know? right. But, uh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. holy, holy hell. Holy yeah. hell. <laughs> no. That should not be. Bottom line. That, that lawyer that represented me became a judge. He became, that black lawyer wow. became a judge. He's still a judge right now. Wow. Uh, I had a white lawyer with him. He became a judge. And he and I stayed in touch. But he, he passed away about 10 years ago. Okay. The lawyer that represented me on my appeal, he's a judge. He's, he uh, he was a young lawyer who represented me. Now he's a judge. He's on the bench. And every now and then we may talk on the phone. But I, you know, I always avail myself, especially after I got out. After I got out, I started meeting senators and I did a thing for um, new in, uh, the reentry court for 2019 and got up there and gave a rousing speech. I didn't know who all was in the room, but like so many senators and the governor and the parole board. Uh, Michael K. Williams that just passed away, Omar. Yeah. He was on a panel with me. You know, I did a rest in peace to him. He was wow. on a panel with me. He's from New Jersey. He passed away. They, you know, uh, whatever they say was however he died, uh, he relapsed or whatever. Yeah. Um, he, he had a side to him that was committed to justice. And, you know, so I met a lot of people. I met the, the Senator, uh, President of New Jersey State Senate. And, you know, so I guess Akbar's trying to come in now. Yeah, well, uh, we see him. We see him. Brother Akbar, his audience is Okay, okay. Is that Akbar? That is Akbar trying to okay. come in right now. 
Okay. Unfortunately, we're, like I said, um, we're, we're coming up on the top now. And um, we're gonna, we definitely got to have Brother Akbar back because, again, we want to make sure we, uh, we do that reveal, let folks understand his commitment to justice and trying to do things right. And again, yeah. and, and I, I want to reiterate it too, because, you know, Brother Ronnie is actually here doing justice. Brother Bernard is here doing justice. And I want folks to understand that they're trying to do justice after having gone through the system. You see, justice isn't one side, it's all sides. And those of us that are on the outside, we must connect with these brothers and sisters and do what we can to make sure that they're uplifted and help them in their work. Because this is the thing that needs to be done if we're ever gonna have a just society where equity is real. Equity is the big word right now over equality, but folks don't understand that in order to apply equity, you gotta look at the details because that's down there where the devil lives. And if you don't right. pay attention to those details, things happen. <clears throat> like I said before, you know, you want to be able to happen to life before life happens to you. you. And that's right. critical. That's absolutely critical. It is no trite thing. It's it's important. Now, we're going to real quick, real quick, fellas. So, Brother Agbar, can you hear me? He's still not connected. It says he's connected, but okay, yeah, I see he's getting his, his earpiece together there. Can you hear me, Brother Agbar? All right, yeah, they're still, they're still trying to work it out. We We can't hear you. He's probably muted. Yeah, I think it on my indicator, I got him. He's not fully connected yet. Okay. Because I can't manage or unmanage or um, control and mute him. I don't have that option. But either way, we're definitely going to go ahead and come back to his end. But yeah, like I said, we're coming up on the top here. Uh, Brother Ronnie, first yes, off, I just like to say, I want to thank you. That's a powerful story. You know, you're doing good work. You need to continue to do that. Let me know what I can do to help. Um, I've got a couple of ideas that I've shared with Brother Bernard that I think I would like for us to pursue in 2022. So I will definitely be in touch along those lines. And all I would say is, you you know, you, you, you're engaging in your passion. Brother, don't stop, you know. Oh, absolutely. It goes forward. Oh, uh, I have a first cousin down there. You might know him, Mark Scotton. No, not familiar, but definitely connect. He's, definitely yeah, he's, connect. A sheriff. he's a sheriff in Fulton County. He ran for the sheriff's office, too. But uh, might know him by being one of the best dressers in Atlanta. <laughs> okay. I, mean, <laughs> I hear that. He, I hear that. He, he's the sheriff. He, he's getting ready to retire from law enforcement. Okay, yeah. Akbar. Akbar, I see him. Yeah, yeah he, he can see us, but he still can't hear us. He, he probably, you think he, to get this far, he's probably got his uh, phone muted. Yeah, but at least he's not frustrated, too frustrated. So we'll right. come back around. Well, we, 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 we got you. We're going to get you. But Brother Bernard, I want to go ahead and give you a word here at the end. Okay. Anything you want to share with us before we close out? Oh, it's just that, uh, okay, we, we don't get that much time left, right? So. Yeah. Okay, so you now I just want to say, man, I'm just glad everybody's coming together, man. Unfortunately, we couldn't get Akbar on it, but like we're gonna keep doing this thing and give back. Because my whole mission is to give back to the community, man, that I helped to restore back in the day. Yeah, you know, and now that uh like Ron said some good stuff. What I really like what I can what Ron said, what you do in prison, you you can do when you come home. And it's so right, because when I was down base outside prison, I was a teacher's aide at drug council. You know, said doing that, and I got my Education uh, from a strapping career institution, and I 
came out running doing the same thing. They are getting back. But right now, I'm a period company specialist. I took a course and I did that two months and in two weeks. Monday after next, I'd go up, I'd go up, I'd go up the bat again with Virginia Certification Board to take my certification again. And I hopefully I'm, I'm going to pass it. That's for sure. You got, I, it. you got I it. I've been registered certified period company specialist in the state of Virginia and I can pretty much start opening up my own thing. And this crew right here, Ronnie Long, Akbar, and more guys that we know that's coming home and trying to get their second chance. I want to be there to give them that second chance with my, my organization. But every organization I work for and people I meet at Toastmasters, I'm in three of them now, and I do this continuously. Every Tuesday night, I got to meet every every I'm on, I'm on Zoom crazy. And I'm in, I'm in Chambers of Commons, you know? Go to meetings with them to help me organize, show me how to open up my own thing, nonprofit program. So I'm elbow to elbow, you know. So this is what I do, and this is what we do. This is what I'm so grateful, man. So happy that we are here today. And like I said again, Fortnite, I can get in. But this is what we do, man. We had to and thank you all. I mean, Eric. Man, Brownie, thank you, man, for hey, showing man. up. Any time, you know? man. This yeah. is good right here. Absolutely, good. absolutely, exactly right. And this, this is what we do, you know, because Ronnie knows a lot of people come home before they leave. They say, Well, I'm gonna go out there, this thing right in prison, this thing. I'm, I'm gonna make sure I step to the people in the street and I let them know that they fade away. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, you know, you get to do what we do. You gotta get in there, man. You know, you gotta let them know, say, Hey, you got some things gonna be checked out now. You know, I know you're trying to make it out of business, but we got human people. Human beings is that is is gone by with your rules and regulations and coming on. Not just for us, it's for younger guys and younger members coming up. Right. So, hey, listen, somebody's out there screaming about us. The second chance. So if I do Department of Corrections and I do my parole, what I got left? I can't get a job. You know what I'm saying? So some light need to be shined on that dark spot so we can save our people from falling through the cracks. Akbar right. said he can hear us. He just can't talk. Oh, okay. Okay. he's muted. Got Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, this, this is what we do. So, like, I'm definitely, when we get a chance to get Akbar, me, Ronnie Long, Akbar, and to give it to you, because for us all over, we're going to give you what we got, man. You know, yeah, got, absolutely. Man. Absolutely. Stop people from going to jail, and, and people come home from jail, we uh, put them on the right place. Because I got stacks and stacks of resources I do in my little office. I got, you know, and I got to give it back. And I do this every day, all day. That's the mission. That is the mission. That is the mission. Right, exactly. So that's what we do. That's that's what I got to say. And I'm hopefully the next time you think the technology be all right, so everybody can get in there and give this bill. Don't even worry about it. We're gonna get it together, brother. No, we're gonna get it together. Well, gentlemen, look. Thank you so much for taking the time this morning. This has been outstanding. Hey, can and we do? You know, this? We we can get we're we gonna we, get it done. Most can definitely. Can we do a part two next Saturday morning? Hey, we're going to follow it up. We're going to follow it up. Okay. So what I'm going to do is okay. um, I'm going to go ahead and send you guys some communications later on this week. We're going to get it scheduled up appropriately. And then we're going to do the follow-up. And I might actually grab, uh, probably going to grab Akbar, you know, after this. And, you know, we're going to try and lay out when we can get some uh, snaps from him and put those okay. pieces in. Again, we don't want to reveal the, the, the big reveal. But we're okay. going to make sure we do that so he can speak to it <laughs> himself. Okay. I also want to bring you in with Transformative uh, Justice Initiative 
It's a group of brothers over Camden. They all did 25, 30 years. They meet them at the gate. When brothers coming home, yeah. Yeah. they meet them at the gate. They give them resources, clothes, and stuff like that. And and uh, you know, and they caught the attention of uh politicians and yeah. people that mean something, so that brothers will have a chance when they come home. You know, they you remember what they used to call gun money or gate money? You did all okay. the time in prison. All they give you is $150. Oh, gate money. Money. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just enough money to go buy a gun. Wow. So you, you get started, you know. Yeah. Um, well, this this uh, Transformative Justice Initiative, uh, these brothers, man, they are really, really doing big things in Jersey. And so uh, I want to I want to introduce you to them, too. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, maybe, maybe, uh, yeah, maybe this this will uh, take off nationally. You know, hey, have hey. other brothers doing the same thing. You know, it's, we know where you are. We know where you're coming from. Okay, so now where do you go from here? How do you make the, the, the best of the rest of your life? You know, and I see so many. I'm proud of these brothers. Yeah, so sure. many brothers coming home and doing the right thing. And they're about community building. In jail, we used to call it snitching. See right. somebody doing something, you know. Uh, in jail, it was called snitching. Now here's being a, a, a citizen. Yeah, I don't want no crime in my community. In fact, I'm getting ready to put the Sloman Shield uh, cameras and stuff around my place, even That's though right. I live in a very <laughs> nice area, you know. Uh, but look, I heard a noise down in my basement. Now I don't own this place. I heard a noise down in the basement. I called the landlord. I don't know what's going on in the basement. He said, well, go down there and see. I said, absolutely not. I'm calling the cops. I called the cops. That's right. That's <laughs> right. To protect and serve. To protect and serve. The sump pump that came loose, and it was making some noise and splashing up against the wall. All I know, ain't nobody might be down there. I called the cops. And they came and, okay, it's water splashing up against the wall. <laughs> but I don't want no crime in my neighborhood. I hear that. I don't I'm want with no you, man. Crime, I'm with you. Right? I don't you. want nobody around going to snatch the lady's pocketbook. Right. Plotting to break in somebody's house or something like that. Exactly. And, you know, it's a different mindset. It's the true mindset of a citizen. You yeah. know, we all citizens. Hey, Even the bad, hey. you know. Thank you. And you know, I let the brothers know. Look, you got a couple years. They got some bed space for you. <laughs> always a vacancy. Always a vacancy. They, always they a vacancy. Bed space for always you, you hotel know? vacancy all the time. Yeah. County, all county all hotel, state hotel, twenty four seven vacancy. They won't let you check out. That's, that's right. right. Hey, got, got some space for you. That's right. Hey, uh. Hey, Dag, so I'm just going to give you a little something. They call me BM when I'm, I'm in prison, when I was in prison. BM. Yeah, so, I, I picked that up from Ronnie. You never mentioned yeah, that Yeah, yeah. I said, connected the two. I yeah, yeah, because you know, like, BM, who's that? Okay. <laughs> uh, but that's what I said. And, and um, hey, man, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, man. I'm all the way, you know? So, all right, all right, all right. Well, look, brothers, I'm going to go ahead and give you back your Saturday. Again, okay. outstanding episode. Thank you so much for taking the time. Right. And I'm going to be in touch so we can go ahead and firm up the next one. And Brother Ogbar, you continue to drive safely there, and I'm going to connect with you 
and we're going to hook it up. All right, brothers. Thank you All so much. Okay. It's good talking, and I'll be ready for the next one. Me right. too. Okay. So, hey, that, like Ronnie asked you, was, was it going to be this Saturday or Saturday? Or? With what? You know, I was, I'm asking that, like, would you ask me, is it going to be every Saturday? Or? No, I'm, I'm going to hit you up because I want to make sure yeah. I can tighten up the schedule. I got a couple of other ones that I'm already doing this week. So I got to okay. get back and figure out what the window is going to look like. I'll let you know. Got you. Got you. Okay, bro. Okay, right man. Now. Be good, man. All right, okay, talk about All right. okay. Hey, okay, bye. See you later. Okay. Right. Thanks a lot. Peace. Wow. What a powerful, free-flowing conversation, right? That was absolutely amazing. You could feel all the energy, the positivity, even in the midst of sharing so much that was just challenging. Hard stories to hear, to be sure. But it's the stories that always matter. Humanizing each other is a mandate. We know that's what must be done. Real people who can and want to do better after having done wrong are being turned right back into hell with no other choice but to continue to operate as a hellbringer, a criminal. No second chance. We can and must do better for all of us because we're all connected, right? Punishment, when due, should and must be applied. But after punishment is done, what next? We have to do better for all of us. And of course, we have to make sure that those who have not done wrong are not punished in the first place. Remember, we're judged by how we treat the least of us, right? Thank you, brothers, Bernard and Ronnie. We sincerely appreciate you taking the time to share with us. And, of course, we've got Brother Akbar coming in the following episode. You'll see that next. And uh, we finally figured out how to get things locked down from a technological standpoint. We've got it layered in. You guys will hear another strong story from a brother who did do wrong but has been punished and now seeks to do right. We look forward to having them all back, most definitely. And, of course, we have to thank you, our listeners, for taking the time to itch the edges with us on this podcast, right? We hope you've enjoyed it, so please like and subscribe. Tell your family, tell your friends. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Edge the Edges, and don't forget to visit our website at edgetheedges.com. Check us out, join the movement, express your commitment to the cause. Cause for a better America, a better world, where we all can stand together at the mountaintop. Do it for America, do it for a better world. And remember, be good to yourselves, and each other. We'll see you next time.